0: Blob
1: Talk Radio.
2: Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast. My name is Patun Wong and I'm the editor-in-chief of Football Garbage Time. And with me, as always, is my co-host, senior staff writer, and member of about every important NFL news outlet will let you. Of it's Ryan Whitfield, but with us today, we have a special guest returning to us. And uh, in the uh, and because we've been doing this for everybody else, we got nice, uh, nice little music here just for you. Coming up, if I could actually just pull this up here, here we go. There we go. All right, special guest, special new song, special intro music for our return guest. That's right. He's the host of FF Dynasty 260 podcast, the Dynasty podcast there. He's a contributor on Roto Underworld. He actually just recently wrote an article about Mike Evans. Go check that out. He is also an all round great guy. It's Mark Leopold. Welcome back to the show, Mark. How do you like your new intro music?
0: <laughs> it's going on a little bit long here. I feel like it's going to drown us out a bit, but I do like the song, and it's a, it's a nice way to tee up the show.
2: <laughs> so tell me, what did you think? About this uh, opposite weekend that we had on the NFL. I mean, basically, up was down, left was right, cats living with dogs. What, what was the deal with that? How do you feel about all that stuff?
0: Well, I, I mean, I think every year we get some weeks like this, and it's really just a reminder that we talk about how the NFL is a small sample size in a lot of cases, and crazy things can happen. Um, and so I think I've taken the mindset that it's really 17 one week samples. And so right. that allows for even more variability. And when you're doing things like that in fantasy lineups, you have to recognize that the range of outcomes is just so wide. And, you know, we've seen that this week with Lion Fitzpatrick going out and having pretty much a garbage first half, but finishing right. the game with really solid numbers for fantasy, just as an example that things can turn yeah, around really fast and you just got to respect everything.
2: Yeah, four hundred, three 400 yard passing games in a row. I think that's the first time it's ever happened in NFL history. Unbelievable, a little bit of magic there. Before we get to the real deal here, give us your prediction. What do you think happens between Ryan Fitzpatrick and uh, Jameis Winston since he is now eligible to come back?
0: I think they keep rolling with Fitzpatrick. I mean, it's working, and he's actually playing very well. Probably some of the best football of his career, if not the best. So I don't know why you mess with that if you're a Tampa Bay. Right,
2: right. I think you're right. I think he definitely gets the next start, but he's gonna have the Bears on tap. It's gonna be a really tough place to be. But hey, yeah, you know, you gotta. We'll see what happens if he has any more magic left when he comes into that one, because that will be a tough one. All right, let's get this show rolling. We got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about the roughing the passer rule. The one that has been talked about basically all weekend and all year so far. A lot of stuff happened this past weekend that makes it highly questionable. Then we're going to talk about some rookie quarterbacks and how they've been doing because they're basically all over the place now. And then we're going to end with some DFS strategy for week four. So let's go ahead and get this rolling. All right, let's get it started with our first topic, and that is this new roughing the passer rule. That's right. We, <laughs> we're, te- we're, treating, we're essentially treating quarterbacks like they're made of glass now. So Rule 12, Section 2, Article 9B actually states that, and we'll read the relevant part that's been at issue here. When a tackling passer who is in a defenseless posture, e.g. during or just after throwing a pass, a defensive player must not unnecessarily or violently throw him down or land on top of him with all or most of the defender's weight. Instead, the defensive player must strive to wrap up the passer with the defensive player's arms and not land on the passer with all or most of his body weight. So in week 3, referee Craig Walstred penalized Clay Matthews of the Packers for his third roughing the passer penalty of the season for landing on Redskins quarterback Alex Smith in the third quarter. NFL then doubled down by sending out a tweet shortly thereafter with video of the play and citing this rule 12 section 2, article 9b in support of Walstred's decision. Now, Matthews later commented, quote, unfortunately, this league's going in a direction I think a lot of people don't like. I think they're getting soft. The only thing hard about this league is the fines, and they levy down that they levy down on guys like me who play the game hard. And way most concerning, or maybe more concerning, maybe what happened to defensive end William Hayes of the Dolphins. Head coach Adam Gase stated that Hayes, quote, was trying not to put body weight on the quarterback and thus, quote, has had his foot caught on the ground. And that led to a torn ACL. So when he asked whether he believes that the rule change led to Hayes' torn ACL, Gay said, quote, I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what he did. According to ESPN, the NFL's competition committee is scheduled to speak on a conference call next week about the increase of roughing the passer penalties. And it's been noted that the committee is concerned about the frequency of these penalties and has invoiced those concerns to league office. Now, one source mentioned that there is, quote, some concern that officials are going a little bit too far with some of these calls. So, I must have seen four roughing the penalty, uh, roughing the passer penalties in Monday night football alone. What do you think? Is this a problem? And if so, how can it be solved? Let's go to you first. Uh, Mark, what do you think?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a problem. I think the spirit of the rule is okay. And I think when you look at a situation like this, you want to look at it both in terms of the spirit of the rule and the execution of the rule. and. So the spirit of the rule is obviously that you want to protect quarterbacks because they're certainly in very vulnerable positions, particularly when they're throwing a pass. Uh, they've got their leg planted on the ground, especially the foot that's going forward, and any kind of hit to the legs in particular can cause a lot of damage there in the knees because the cleats are planted in the grass. Um, and uh, the spirit of the rule is now kind of, we've seen it executed mostly in the body weight where a defender tackles a quarterback and lands on him or drives him into the ground, uh, particularly with Clay Matthews. And so I think when you look at the execution of the rule, one of the key words that I see in the rule that you laid out is they try, they should try to wrap him up and not land on him. And so I think we're seeing a situation where the spirit of the rule is good. The spirit of the change is good. And they've just gone a little bit too far with the implementation. And so I think it won't be too long, but I think we'll see kind of a natural course correction where they'll start to use more judgment, let some of those calls go. And, like, the hit on uh, Alex Smith from Clay Matthews there, I think that's one that we'll see not called probably by the end of the season and if not next season. So I think this is going to be a blip, and I think people are going to be angry about it. But I think most people generally agree with the spirit of the rule, um, and Clay Matthews said as much in his post-game interview. But mm-hmm. I think it's just a matter of them trying to take a it little, a little bit too far maybe exaggerating the problem a bit and telling the refs to err on the side of caution. And so I do think we'll see kind of a natural course correction. But Clay Matthews made some great points in his interview. I think that's one of the most illuminating stances on the issue is that <laughs> it's incredibly hard when you're coming at a quarterback from the front and tackling him you know, straight through his body. It's so hard not to land on him. And right. Matthew said he did everything he could. You wrap him up, and as soon as he's going down, you try to take your hands off, try to land to the side as much as you can. But there's really not much you can do. And so it was interesting that his uh, he said that he talked to Alex Smith after the game and said, you know, what else can I do? What can I do differently? What do you think? And he said that Smith didn't think it was a dirty hit, but he said you probably just have to go for the ball. And so I'm kind of curious now to see if we see edge rushers and guys like that start to try to strip quarterbacks more and maybe do we see an increase in fumbles as a result.
2: Right. Interesting. All right. Well, Ryan, what do you think about this uh, development with the uh, roughing the pass for penalty?
1: So I would, I would mirror a lot of that and the sentiment that, you know, anything done to protect um, high end players in this league is, you know, it's it's the biggest fantasy sport and we all uh, know how, you know, a team like Green Bay last year, how how less fun and interesting they are when Aaron Rodgers. And you know, uh, I think that we can, we, we, we dubbed uh, the going low on the quarterback, the Tom Brady rule after 2008. <laughs> I think we can safely right. call this the Aaron Rodgers rule after yep. uh, being driven into the ground last year. Uh, which is again, so you know, I agree that it's the spirit of the rule because you want to eliminate that play that happened against Aaron Rodgers last year, but now they're taking it too far the other way. The one thing I would say, and the one thing that frustrates me in, this, in situations like this is um, I don't think there's in a form tackle sense, there's not a lot you can do, but um, yeah, you can attack the ball or you can grab a guy and pull him down. Um, and, and while that's traditionally a good tackle, the one thing I took uh, huge advantage, uh, Issue with that that Clay Matthews had mm-hmm. said in that post game interview was he he had mentioned that you know I, I tried to do it differently again this week and and I still get flagged for it. Well, I'm gonna have mm-hmm. to go out and vehemently uh, disagree with that because all th- all of all of his roughly Pastor passer calls this year have looked identical to the other one. It looks like he's just doing the same thing over and over again and just keeps coming <laughs> out and saying that well this used to be legal and so I get why it's frustrating to him that it's not legal right now and I don't think that there <laughs> should be flags, uh, but. You know, you got to do something different, Clay, because, I mean, again, the definition of insanity here, because you're just doing the same thing every week and then crying about it after the game. Yep. Um, so to me, it's just a little stupid. The one thing I would be remiss if I don't mention uh, before, you know, before we move on from this segment, is that uh, I would also like to add on to this rule that uh, if, uh, as, as you know, Hakuna, I'm you know, football is my number one, but uh, hockey is yep. my second favorite sport, uh, yep. and, and, and flopping and diving is rampant in the, in yep. the NHL. Um, and you do actually go to the box for that. I don't want to flag. Anyone who pulls a move like Ben Roethlisberger did last night should be suspended for a minimum of one game. You want? To, you're going to start diving like that. Minimum one game suspension going forward. You know, if we're going to if we're going to start penalizing uh, the defensive guys like we are right now on roughing the, rough the passer, if if we're going to have quarterbacks out there flopping like that, like that big fatso, um, then then they, they need to be removed from the next game. Wow, all it takes
2: is a little bit of ben, Big Ben to get you around. I was wondering when you are going to get to the rant part of your uh, answer there, uh, Ryan. It was, t- it was sounding so re- reasonable and re- reasoned up to that point, and then I'm like, oh, there it is. There's Big Ben. I knew that was going to come up at some point. Just yeah. another, another classic
1: move from a classy gentleman. You know, Big Ben, real stand-up guy. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and uh, ring the bell on that
2: one, and let's move on to our next topic of the day, and that's going to be the rookie quarterbacks because they are all over the place. Um, So let's go ahead and get started with the first rookie quarterback we want to talk about. That's Baker Mayfield. He was on in relief of an injured Tyrod Taylor who went out with a concussion late in the second quarter. Mayfield completed 17 of 23 passes for 201 yards, no interceptions, also catching a two-point conversion in the Mayfield special in the Browns' surprising comeback win over the Jets, their first victory in 635 days. Now, um, I'm going to start with you here, Mark. Will Baker Mayfield lead the Browns to a winning season, or was this just one lucky half of a game against the uh, worse than we thought jets defense? And then, give us some thoughts on uh, dynasty value here.
0: I think we're probably going to see it fall somewhere in the middle. Um, So I'm not convinced that they'll get to a winning season, and one of those reasons is Hugh Jackson's still there. And I Mm -hmm. think we can probably all agree that he's one of the worst coaches in the league. Um, And my hope was I mean, I like Tyrod Taylor, so I was kind of hoping he would just play out the whole season, but with how poorly he was playing, that's not really an option. So my hope was he would play just long enough to get Hugh fired, Uh, coaching (laughs) regime would change, maybe Todd Haley takes over, and Baker Mayfield steps in. But we got one of two, so we're going to have to live with that. Um, And I think the question looking at these rookie quarterbacks is really, have we seen anything to make us change our opinion since our pre-draft evaluations? And that includes Mm -hmm. preseason, because – Mayfield, we've seen half a game, essentially. Uh, Josh Rosen, we've seen one drive. And even to Sam Darnold, we've seen three games. So it's, it's a very small sample, and I think we have to rely mostly on what we thought beforehand unless something is drastically changed. So mm-hmm. Mayfield was clearly my number one quarterback going into the draft. I think he was the obvious number one pick. Uh, prolific, accurate in college, pretty much everything you can ask for. You know, decisive, didn't turn the ball over much. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, decently mobile. Um, and so like you mentioned we saw him throw over 200 yards in basically a half of football uh, 149 of those came in the air so he's getting it done with his arm and not as much through his receivers yards after the catch mm-hmm. uh, only one of those attempts was interceptable according to player profiler so uh, just as we've seen from his college game he was very accurate uh, his completion percentage when you factor out throwaways and drops was 85 percent um, so that's got to be near the top of the league and again small sample size but are we surprised that a very accurate quarterback in college is still accurate? And I would say the <laughs> answer to that is probably no. Um, so I've liked everything I've seen so far, still clearly my number one quarterback out of this rookie group. And for dynasty sure. purposes, um, in one quarterback league, they're just not valuable enough. You know, I, I might give a second round pick, which is probably about what you spent on him originally. So I don't think much has changed, uh, but super flex, I would have been willing to pick him one Oh three uh, after yeah. safe Barkley and Darius Guy. So, Wow. I think that holds, and maybe you make him 102 after Geist now since he's uh, out for the season. Um, so I think his price in Superflex is very steep.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So let's uh, let's it over to you here, Ryan. What do you think about Baker Mayfield and the Browns?
1: Yeah. So I I, I flip flopped on on these rookie quarterbacks so much, <laughs>
0: um,
1: except for except for Josh Allen because he still sucks, and uh, that that win on Sunday was uh, ten times more an indictment on the Vikings than it was on the chiefs. And, and just while I'm on it real quick, I will say, I think I said this to you like two years ago after the chiefs came in here and got blown out uh, against the Patriots or not blown up the San Luis soundly, soundly beat in that playoffs and said, I'm right. never buying in on the chiefs again. So don't talk to me about them ever again. Um, right. With that performance on Sunday, coupled with the way that defense got lit up by Nick Foles in the NFC championship last year, the Minnesota Vikings are teetering on that line of don't talk to me about them anymore. Um, I obviously had a, uh, had uh, a lot invested on that Vikings game on Sunday. So I'm pretty. Uh, oh, that, but, <laughs> and um, the truth comes out. Yeah. I, I, I only took them in three suicide pools. So, uh, so thanks oh, a lot. Okay. Um, but anyways, I digress. Um, hey, there goes a lot of money, money slushing <laughs> down the toilet. Um, but yeah. So, uh, you know, when I, when I look at it, Baker Mayfield, you know, I was, I was extremely impressed. Obviously, you know, Mark touched on how accurate he was in college, and, and the accuracy was, was there the other night, but for me it was more the the guts. And the more I watch this kid, um, mm-hmm. he just has that it factor to me. And, you know, the I recently went back and rewatched the when he joined the herd uh, with Colin Cowherd and the way he just conducted mm-hmm. himself and, 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 and the confidence he has in himself. Um, and then, it, it, you know, it translated on the football field on Thursday because a couple of those throws – were big time throws guys in small windows that, you know, in his first moment, he's not shying away from them, you know, putting that ball on somebody. And there were some throws that were borderline dangerous, but they were his throws. So perfect. It was right in the right spot. So he Mm -hmm. has an it factor to me. um, And, and then the skills to back it up, Um, you know, as I watch more hard knocks and more uh, of the all or nothing series, I come away Mm -hmm. respecting a lot of people. I, I didn't respect before, um, but I'll, you know, reiterate what Mark said, and I, it's actually the exact opposite. I think Hugh Jackson's uh, a bigger idiot than I thought he was when I started watching the show. <laughs> he's actually gotten the other way. He's uh, he is way worse than I thought he could have ever been. Um, so hopefully he's cleared out of there soon, and Baker gets a uh, you know a shot with somebody you know whether Taylor or somebody else um, that knows what they're doing. So you know, and I, right. and my dark horse still is is I've, I've been a big Rosen fan all along. Um, it's going to be a while before we see anything there because. I mean, Steve Wilkes should have never got a head coaching job in the first place, and now that he has one, uh, it's a disaster. The, their usage of David Johnson is is, is an absolute mess. So, um, you know, Rosen stepping in there, I just I don't expect I don't expect a lot. He's basically got two weapons, and it seems like a completely inept scheme in offense and offense and the whole situation there in Arizona. Um, so for the time being, you know, it's got to be Baker Mayfield. I'm, I'm still interested to see what Rosen and Jackson do. Uh, down the line, once you know they both get consistent playing time and, and in better situations, in, in Rosen's
0: case, mm-hmm.
1: and uh, Josh mm-hmm. Allen, you still suck. And Sam Darnold shows that the, the last <laughs> laugh, it's, it's showing at times the lapse in judgment that made him a concern to me in the first place. So that's okay. That was so guys. okay, <clears throat> okay. Well, you just got
2: you just got a mouthful there. So let me just go ahead and back up here. And uh, give uh, and give Mark a chance to talk about each of those guys and let's talk about uh, each of them uh, really quickly. Sam Darno, you know, he was obviously facing Baker Mayfield that day. He only completed 15 of 31 passes for 169 yards and two interceptions. And the Jets were clearly trying to protect Darno by, con- by calling extremely conservative pass plays. And Darno did nothing to prove them wrong, particularly when he tossed a pair of late-game picks that forced when he forced into comeback mode. So two bad weeks from Darno uh, since this coming out party against the lions. Um, he somehow and the lions actually somehow beat the Patriots on Sunday night. I'm sure that, uh, you don't have to be reminded of that Ryan. And now he goes on to face the Jags. So what are your thoughts here, Mark on Sam Darno? Is it too early to tell? Or do you think Sam Darno is the jets franchise quarterback?
0: I think it's still too early to tell uh, as far as how he plays in the NFL. I mean, I had Darnold as my number two quarterback, although there was a good chunk between him and Mayfield. Um, and so far, what we've seen in the NFL is a lot of what we had seen in college. He's shown some times where he's been accurate and efficient, uh, but he's also shown that the tendency to throw interceptable passes and make mistakes um, and maybe just not make the right read. And so I was looking through some of the metrics on him, and they kind of align with what we're seeing on the field. He's thrown seven interceptable passes, which is number five in the league, so that's wow. not good. Okay. Um, and he's actually only thrown 10 deep balls, which is 21st. So the interceptable balls are not because he's making difficult throws down the field. It's it's more of his decision-making. He's not connecting on the shorter and intermediate passes. Um, and so I know some of these numbers are a little skewed by kind of that comeback mode and the fact that he was in a tough situation. Uh, but he's near the bottom of the league in terms of efficiency, completion percentage, Um, Mm -hmm. And part of that is a result of his wide receivers and tight ends not separating. Um, They're Mm -hmm. just barely over a yard of separation on average at target. So he's throwing into tight windows a lot, which I think might be contributing to that. And I think the other thing we have to remember with Sam Darnold is he's the youngest quarterback in the league. And uh, I'm not sure if he's turned 21 yet, but he was 20 when he got drafted. Um, So he's very, very young. And I think it's unreasonable to expect him to just translate and start on week one and be everything that we thought he would be. Um, Mm -hmm. So these type of guys normally benefit from sitting out a little bit. He obviously didn't have that, uh, got thrown into the fire right away. So I think it's still too early to tell. But as I mentioned with Mayfield, I haven't seen anything to change my diagnosis of him from the Mm pre-draft process from his college resume. So um, from where I sit now, he's still my number two in this class. Um, he was relatively close to Rosen, who's my number three, but I did have him, you know, just ahead of both. Okay.
2: Well, let's talk about, let's talk about Josh Rosen, because he was able, you know, he actually took over for Sam Bradford with only 431 left in the game against the Bears, trailing by just two points. Josh Rosen ended up completing four of seven passes with 36 yards with an interception and a pick six, which was called back on penalty. So now he's been named the starter for the Cardinals moving forward. So, first, do you agree with that call? And, second, do you think he'll be able to turn things around? Or is this going to be more of the same from the Cardinals' offense?
0: I see this as kind of the right and the wrong move at the same time because I think Rosen's going to give them a better chance to win games. But, at the same time, I don't think they can be competitive even with Rosen. And I think, you know, given the situation of the offensive line, the supporting cast and his receivers, um, and then also the coaching, but nobody's going to acknowledge that in Arizona – I think they're setting him up to fail, um, mm-hmm. but that said, the one drive that he did come in there right near the end, he looked good. I mean, I think he looked sharp. He was throwing the ball quickly. He was decisive. He was accurate. Um, and I know that one pick, you know, is kind of a blemish on the resume, but I think right. for the most part, he looked very strong in that limited action. Right. And uh, his preseason too. action was, yeah, exactly. Uh, his preseason action was a little less uh, enticing under 60% completion, five yards per 10, basically, uh, and then an 81 passer rating. So nothing to write home about, and that's in the preseason, mm-hmm. not necessarily against all the first-teamers. So, um, right. Again, I don't think that's concerning enough to overturn what I thought pre-draft. So he's still my number three. Um, I've always thought he was streaky, um, but I do see a little bit of – and I'm, I'm not going to say he's Tom Brady, but I see a little bit of Tom Brady in that he diagnoses wow. his is very well. He makes the right reads in a lot of cases, and he makes quick decisions. He makes the right decision a lot of times, and you know he, he zips the ball in there in tight windows when he needs to. Um, but the problem is, and the reason that he's not even close to Tom Brady is, he is so hot and cold. You know, In college, when he was off, he was off, and it was just a disaster, and he's kind of like Eli Manning in that way. So I see him as right. a mix of Brady and Eli. Okay.
2: All right. Well, let's talk about the last guy who is obviously last on your list and someone who Ryan also thinks is terrible, Josh Allen of the Bills, who completed 15 of 22 passes for 196 yards and a touchdown, adding 10 carries to 39 yards and two rushing touchdowns in the Bills' shocking Week 3 win over the Vikings that basically destroyed everybody's Eliminator pool. And the other half of the Eliminator pool probably probably, probably got knocked out because of the Jacksonville Jaguars losing to the Titans. But anyway, they go down to face the Packers next week. Looks like Allen has found his groove. Is Josh Allen and the Bills for real? Or was this just an episode of the Twilight Zone, Mark?
0: I think we should let Ryan go first on this one, actually. I want to hear (laughs) the, the rant.
2: Well, I know that Ryan is going to go off on him. So, Ryan, what, what do you think about Josh Allen here?
1: Yeah, again, I don't think this is about Josh Allen. It's about the Minnesota Vikings and, and what, appear, what appears to be a, a ridiculously mentally weak team. Um, watching that game on Sunday, there was an early, I think it was defensive pass interference or personal foul that, that had one drive moving and an early turnover. And then it was like once a minute they got down by 10, the Vikings were like, well, I'll see you next week. We're done. And like, that's what this team – that's what this team is to me that, um, you know, kind of rem- reminiscent to me a little bit of the Carolina Panthers from 2015, you know, what was what I'm seeing over the last half a year here. Whereas, um, you know, and I know that it's had that comeback in green Bay, but uh, overall in general, like this game, the minute it got down, I mean, there's, there's no excuse. I, I think I, I don't have the exact stat in front of me. Probably sure I probably should have screenshotted it, but I was losing my mind on Sunday. Um, <laughs> somebody had tweeted out that like, this was like the first time in 20 years that a home team was a double-digit point favorite and was down yep. by double digits at halftime. Like, that's how yep. much of an anomaly that was. So, yep. and again, it's not like if, if, if Allen had gone out there and thrown for 400 yards and four touchdowns and just, like, took it to them, you know, I would say, okay. But he didn't do that. Like, you know, he had a very game-managing style of game. And to get rolled, to get rolled like that by the Buffalo Bills on the road, in a game where their quarterback threw for less than 200 yards, give me a break. Don't talk yep. to me about Minnesota. They're not going to the Super Bowl. I'm out on the Vikings.
2: Yeah, it was an embarrassing effort by Kirk Cousins for sure, and his receivers who just looked like they didn't want to catch the ball. I mean, oh, my gosh, the number of drops that he had encountered was amazing. So let's uh, flip it over there to you. So we got we got the Minnesota Vikings side of that, but let's go back to Josh Allen for a second. And uh, And, Mark, your thoughts on Josh Allen?
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with Ryan. Uh, I think he's pretty spot on there. I I, I tweeted out some stuff earlier. Um, Josh Allen, he, he played a good game. And admittedly, you know, he was accurate. He was efficient. He did everything he needed to do. Uh, but Ryan's exactly right that the Vikings set them up for success. And so mm-hmm. it's hard to glean too much from his performance, I think. Um, and if you look at the drive logs, the Bills had two long scoring drives. One of those two was kept alive on a third and fourth by a personal foul, which gave him a first down and the play had resulted in a sack. Um, so it would have been fourth down. They would have punted. And the other one was a 65 yard drive. 55 of those yards came on a dump off to Chris Ivory that he just almost took to the house. Um, so two drives, kind of two fluky plays that pretty much made them happen. And the other scoring drives were Minnesota turnovers deep in their own territory. Um, so really not too much to take away from. And then the other touchdown pass to Jason Kroom was just a totally blown coverage. I mean, he had nobody Mm -hmm. within 10 yards of him. So Allen pretty much played dink and dunk most of the game. Uh, He didn't really make any super impressive throws. And the one touchdown there was a totally wide open guy that he totally could have missed because he's Josh Allen, but he didn't. Uh, Right. So, even though it was impressive statistically, I'm not super impressed because of the situations that caused all of that. Um, wow. And he's been mediocre this season. He's right in the middle of the league um, in a lot of categories. He's you know below average in efficiency, completion percentage, that kind of thing, and completion percentage, factoring out drops and stuff because we all know his supporting cast is garbage. So trying to isolate his play as much as possible, um, 65% when you factor all that out, which is – 27th in the league, so below average. Uh, his, his stats this year actually look a lot like Sam Darnold's. And I know we just talked about that, and some of those are kind of right. skewed down by his situation. Allen's, on the other hand, are skewed up by his situation against the Vikings. Um, so I still think the jury's out on him. I think we've seen a lot of what we saw in college. Very hot, very cold. Um, you know, he's, he can do the spectacular, but he can also do the totally head-scratching plays. Um, right so nothing's changed for me he's still at the bottom of the group okay
2: well let's go ahead and ring the bell on that one let's get to our next topic now that we've covered all the rookie quarterbacks and that's dfs we're going to be talking about some daily fantasy football strategy here and i think we're going to be talking about some stack suggestions for week four of uh, your contest so why don't we go ahead and get this started with uh ryan ryan what do you think give us some of your dfs stack suggestions
1: Yeah, so uh, as I launch into it, I do just want to give a shout-out to uh, SquadQL. Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy football league? Look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineups for each week based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. SquadQL provides waiver and trade recommendations, too. Go to SquadQL.com to download the SquadQL app for free. SquadQL is brought to you by the Creators RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy optimizer trusted by – 100,000 DFS players I actually had it ready to go this week. Um, Very well done. Uh, <laughs> so I have two stack suggestions. Um, Try to go a little bit more off the books here. I mean, obviously the easy ones. Well, you know, I, I was high on uh, recommending Minnesota everywhere last week. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how that worked out, but luckily I did play a Saints, uh or a Saint stack um, in a couple of fantasy, in a couple uh, DFS plays and, and made some money there. But the two I like that are a little bit deeper this week because I think the Saints are right now. Until until further notice, Breeze, Kamara, and Mike Thomas are, are, are pretty good plays. Um, <laughs> right. But the two deeper ones I do like, um, they're actually both road teams this week. And the first one is uh, I do like Detroit this week going to uh, Dallas. Um, so I have in that group Kenny Galladay, who just continues to, to point produce, uh, Matt Stafford, and then... I'm going to just stick with Golden T out of the other two. I just like him uh, the, mm-hmm. as the better player there. Um, and then my second stat, uh, stack recommendation, just because, <clears throat> you know, uh, Atlanta continues to, to have a, a rough defensive, uh, defensive season here. Um, and what we've seen is – I'm trying to find it now here. I'm scrambling for it, but uh, I know it's here. Okay. Yeah. So they're 27th ranked defense uh, for fantasy purposes. Um, 26 versus the pass and 28th versus the rush. Um, Dalton's actually had a fairly productive season so far, averaging 20 points per game. So I'm taking Dalton, um, I'm going to take Tyler Boyd, especially AJ Green status up in the air. Um, and I just think that that Boyd's really kind of elevated in that third, making that third year leap. And the last guy, um, you know, I know Mixon was working on the side of the field Friday. I would be absolutely stunned if he's back already. So I'm playing <laughs> Giovanni Bernard. If somehow Mixon gets back in this week, then I would go Mixon. Uh, but, yeah, cincinnati Atlanta. Uh, I like the matchup. And while both those guys are road teams, I don't find it either place very daunting to play, and they're both inside. So th- those are bode well for offensive points.
2: All right. Those are, good. those are good suggestions there. So, Mark, do you have any suggestions for DFS stacks for week four?
0: Yeah, I like both of those calls, and you really can't go wrong with the Lions because you've got Golden Tate, who is a yak monster and racks up targets. You've got Kenny Galladay, who uh, produces in all phases. And actually, Marvin Jones leads the league in end zone targets, so he's the most likely to score out of the bunch. So you really can't pick a bad option there. Um, And I actually have Cincinnati written down, too, on the list here. But I want to go a different way, and my suggestion is actually to stack Giovanni Bernard, assuming Mixon is out, and Tyler Eifert. And mm. so that's not a conventional stack by any means, but the reason is Atlanta allows a lot of points to the running back position, and Bernard is going to be a workhorse if Mixon is out. And the, the reason I want Eifert is they're now without Deion Jones and Keanu Neal, linebackers and safety. So that means Tyler Eifert is going to see a lot of coverage from backup players and Eifert's usage has been trending up every week uh, increased snaps from week 1 to 2 to 3 increased routes run uh, increased targets and it's only a matter of time before he finds the end zone because we know he's a big time red zone weapon so I like stacking Bernard and Eifert I probably wouldn't take them both in a cash game but in GPP I think that's going to be a good way to get a unique stack in your lineup wow really, um, well, and a really cheap stack yeah and they're both cheap yeah um, and some other kind of more conventional stacks, I like Deshaun Watson and either of his receivers in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. They essentially we'll don't have a secondary, so you could even stack him with both. Um, they're all going to smash this week. Uh, at Indianapolis, another road team, but they're playing in the Dome, so that never hurts. Uh, I had another road team here on the list as well, uh, and it's actually Baker Mayfield and Antonio yes. Callaway. Or Jarvis Landry, Pick your Poison. Yep. No, um, oh, that's what I have Baker's anyway. going to be cheap. Yeah, I like it. Baker's going to be cheap. We know Landry's not going to be cheap. Um, but Oakland pretty much only has one strong defensive back. That's Rashawn Melvin. He doesn't travel to the slot, so I think you can get away with Landry, uh, even though he's got Rashawn Melvin on the other side because he probably won't shadow in the slot. Um, but the reason I like Callaway is he's super cheap. Um, and he saw 10 targets last week. And he's another guy that his usage has been trending up every week, especially now that Josh Gordon's gone. Uh, 86% of the snaps, and then 96%. Uh, he's running more routes every week. And that's 10 targets last week that he didn't turn into anything. So he's flying a little bit under the radar. I think ownership's going to be low. Uh, so I love that for GPPs. Probably not as much for cash games. Uh, Houston Stacks a good one for cash games, I think.
1: Right. And
2: then how about throwing uh, to, David yeah, Joku two- into that? Uh, Browns list? Would you would you, would you you think about David Joku? He's going pretty cheap as well. Th- 13th priced uh, tight end in DraftKings right
0: now. Yeah, not in a cash game. Uh, mm-hmm. We just haven't seen the usage consistently, but in a GVP, absolutely. Um, you know, I think Baker Mayfield seems to have a good connection with him from the preseason, so uh, definitely willing to take a dart throw on one of the most athletic tight ends out there uh, with a new quarterback that seems to like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I did have two other here, conventional yep. stacks. Go Mitchell for it. Trubisky and Allen Robinson against Tampa Bay. Uh, nice. Their secondary is be, beat up, and A-Rob is a target vacuum. Uh, and his price hasn't caught up. I don't understand it. Uh, it's the same as it was two weeks ago. It went down after week two because they played Monday night. And now it's back up to, I think, exactly where it was before that. Um, and all he's done is get fed targets. And the other one is Eli Manning and Sterling Shepard. And mm-hmm. the reason I say Shepard is because they're playing the Saints, And Marshawn Lattimore is a shutdown corner, contrary to what some believe. So even though uh, they got Odell Beckham, I think he'll see mostly (laughs) Marshawn Lattimore. And last week we saw Calvin Ridley blow up for three touchdowns. So with Evan Ingram probably out this week, uh, Sterling (laughs) Shepard has my bet to get some of those uh, yards and touchdowns for the Giants.
2: Great. Well, all terrific, terrific suggestions there. Let me throw one out a little bit unconventional as well. Let me see what you think about this. How about the Chargers defense and Melvin Gordon against the 49ers, who now is going to probably have C.J. Bethard (laughs) under center?
0: I have that one written down too, but I was (laughs) going to let somebody else go. Yeah, Melvin Gordon and the Chargers defense is a great stack because there's a strong correlation uh, between a running back and his defense. Assuming the Bills get up early, they're going to run the ball. Uh, sorry, the Chargers get up early. They're going to they're run the ball, and the defense won't be allowing points. And against the backup quarterback or Tom Savage or whoever they bring in. Like oh, my them. I mean, he was straight trash last year, and their receiving core is not strong. So there's really not much going on on that offense. So I think the Chargers can shut them down, get some turnovers, and I think Melvin Gordon can capitalize on that call very much. All right.
2: So – That is essentially all the time we have. We've actually used up a little bit over – we had a little bit of a bonus episode today, so I'll go ahead and blow blow the air horn on the episode. Uh, Mark, give us your social media so people can follow you.
0: Yeah, check me out on Twitter at LeopoldNFL. Uh, We've got some work over at ffdynasty260.com, and then our podcast can be found on Google Play, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, whatever you use. Uh, And then also we've got some articles up at Roto Underworld, uh, which is playerprofiler.com. All
2: right. Check that all out because Mark is fantastic. As you can tell from his appearance today, he is chock full of great information. Ryan, give us your social media and so people can follow you.
1: Absolutely. And Mark, thanks for joining us again, dude. Uh, You can find me on Instagram, football underscore garbage underscore time on Twitter at Ryan Whitfield N E.
2: All right, and thanks again. Uh, I'll just say it one more time. Thanks again, Mark, because um, we love having you on the show, and you you bring so much great information to our listeners. I'm sure everyone learned a lot today, and hopefully everyone's going to win some DFS cash from Ryan and from Mark's suggestions. And then thanks, everyone, for wasting time with us this week. And until next time, enjoy your NFL week.